Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzvotah V'Tivanu La'asok B'Divrei Torah, Ve Ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka B'Finu Ufi Amka B'Tisrael. Yisrael, Veniye Anaknu Vetza Etzainu Vetza Etzae Amka Beit Yisrael. Kulanu Yodea Shemeka Velom De Torateka Lishma. Barukata Adonai Hamlame Torah Le'Amo Yisrael. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. May the Geula come swiftly in our times. I'd like to welcome you to the Ha'azinu GT, the Geula talk. So, we are in pretty much the second final parsha of the Torah. Yes, I say second because remember, as I was telling you, commentaries spoke of Parsha Vayelech as really the final thing that happens in Torah. Other than Moshe's death, which is kind of up for debate, as Parshavazot Habaraka will bring forth. But we all know Moshe's not around walking, so he's kind of not here, but is he? So uh, that's, a, that's what I kind of mean up for debate. But anyway, there's going to be lots of beautiful commentary that speaks to that, which I am so looking forward to uh, rediscovering because I posted a lot of it on Instagram a few years ago as I was getting my mind blown, sitting in my sukkah, reading this, and I'm like, what is happening right now? Because it's just like so many things are speaking about what actually happened because Hashem buried Moshe. And what does that look like? How does Hashem bury someone? You know, and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, that's not this tour portion. No, this tour portion is all about the sound of music. Okay, it's not really about the sound of music as much as it is about a song. So... Ha'azinu literally means to give ear. So like oz or azne, like your ears. And I immediately think about Mishiach Yeshua saying, those who have ears, let them hear. Because again, we have the, the fulfillment and the manifestation of what Moshe began to portray manifest in Mashiach Yeshua. Literally, Moshe is likened to the open mem, and Mashiach is called the final mem. This is why you may uh, hear the term Moshe is the first redeemer, Mashiach is the final redeemer. So they're supposed to look alike and be twins and uh, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, so just a little heads up on that. But you have here the fact that Mashiach is saying, those who have ears, let them hear. And Moshe is saying the same thing, but he's not just speaking to the people. He's speaking to the heavens and the earth. Yes, earth with an F. Okay. But I find that so amazing because um, I don't have this commentary in front of me, but it does say that Yeshayahu did the same thing. Instead of uh, the way that Moshe spoke it, he just reversed the orders of it and there was this whole point about how you know you either go from earth to heaven in your relationship with Hashem or from uh heaven to earth with your relationship with Hashem so earth to heaven heaven to earth like a vice versa little thing and that's the difference between Moshe speaking and Yeshayahu speaking so it all had to do with who was closer to what you know so like 
Moshe being closer to the heavens at the end of his life, Yeshayahu being closer to the earth and things like that. So that's how the relationship works. So begs the question. It doesn't really beg the question, but begs for me. Hopefully begs for you. When Mashiach says give ear to those who are listening, it's just like whoever is close to me, let them hear my words. So that's a say la moment because Moshe didn't speak like that. And Yeshayahu didn't speak like that. But Yeshua said, those who have ears, let them hear. Like, I don't know what to do with that. So I'm just going to go ahead and keep going. Pretend like nothing happened. Nothing. Right. Like nothing happened. Yeah, just a little bit. Okay. So give ear. Good night. Okay. So Parsha Hazinu is the 53rd Torah portion this year. Normally, it would be Parsha 52 if you put Nitzavim and Vayelik together. But this year, they were separate. And remember, commentaries say, survey says that, uh, not to be confused with Cervezas, which are really good too, if you find a good one. But anyway, because, um, you know, okay, digression, of course. Because, you know, we talked about the Kohelet drosh that Captain Yisrael brought down on Shabbat, where we were reading that it's actually meritorious to have a strong drink or, or fine drink, you know, something more than water and grape juice, basically, when you're celebrating Shabbat or Yom Tov. And the commentary was talking about that being like a good reward, you know, and Hashem doesn't punish you for that, which is like this cool thing about, you know, drinking wine, drinking, you know, strong drink and things like that when you're rejoicing before Hashem, as opposed to sitting in a bar or throwing a house party that leads to all sorts of debauchery. Oh, wait, we've heard this before, haven't we? This is from... The distinguished gentleman, Shaul Hashliak, who said, be drunk, or, he, no, he did not say that. That would be terrible. That is wrong. That's probably what Paul said, but not what Shaul said. Anyway, Freudian slip much, but he said, be filled with the spirit instead of being drunk with wine, because that's going to lead to debauchery. So, yeah, so he wrote that. It's beautiful. I uh, love how that all is there. Oh, I took a picture of this because I thought it was so crazy. I'm just going to read it to you. Can I read something for y'all? Go all the way back to Shabbat. I've only taken 1,000 pictures since then. Hang on. 99, 100, okay, uh, 999, and 1,000. Okay, here we go. So this was from our chapter, and it started on verse 7. It said, go this is from Kohelet again. It said, go eat your bread with joy. And it says, all sheik stresses the possessive nouns, your bread, your wine. True happiness is present when you eat your own bread, i.e. the bread you toiled for with the sweat of your own brow. Tehillim 128.2. Even when it is only bread, i.e. the basic necessities of life rather than luxuries. Similarly, your wine should be drunk, belev tov, with a glad heart. 
i.e. It says, at the behest of the Yetzer Tov, the good inclination, in the performance of the mitzvot, such as Kiddush, Havdalah, Shabbat, the four cups at Pesach, Purim. Also, the wine should be your own, which is drunk in moderation, not to the point of drunkenness. Good night. That is from the Art Scroll Commentary on Kohelet. I just loved seeing that. And again, what Shaul said, he did not say be drunk, but he said be filled with the spirit and don't be drunk with wine because that leads to debauchery. And here we have it already brought down by commentary such as Al Sheik. So anyway, back to my notes because I have thousands of pictures that I will get sidetracked on reading. I like to take pictures of sources, so if you ever see my library of pictures on my phone, there are barely pictures of people, there's only pictures of sources. So, can I just, okay, I'm gonna do it. All right, so I was gonna ask, but you know, I'm already in my library, so I just wanna read a few things. Okay, so, like for one thing, I took a picture of Devarim 3211, because we're gonna talk about that, so let's not, read that one. Let's go ahead and do this. Something I didn't plan on reading today. What is this? Uh, apparently I took a picture of some book and for some reason I took a picture of this information. Why? Who knows? Here we go. Minkas Hinuk 107 explains that when the ten tribes rebelled against Rechavam, the son of Shlomo, he lost sovereignty over them in order for Shlomo or his heirs to regain status over the ten tribes. A new anointment was needed. Therefore, Mashiach will require a new anointment if he wishes to reign over all Israel, including the ten tribes. Okay, I know why I took this picture now. Tehillim was talking about anointing the head with oil. And they were speaking about Mashiach, that Mashiach is going to have to be anointed, even though he is considered to be the direct son of David, which is crazy because what do you mean David had Shlomo? How's Mashiach a direct son of David? Anyway, I digress. But I was uh, going through the Art Scroll Tanakh series on Tehillim. It's, uh, they sell it in this really cute, yes, it is really cute. It's a travel size uh, casing and it's got like four volumes, maybe five volumes. And it's like little books and they break up all the Tehillim. And it's got like commentary and it's different from the green book. These are like... If you've seen Men in Black, the first one, and it's the gun that Will Smith had called the Cricket, that's what these books are. They're like the Cricket. They're like little pocket-sized crickets, like all of them. And then the green book, of course, it's like the bazooka. It's like the, the rocket launcher, destroy anything, you know, uh, at a thousand mile radius. I don't know. Anyway, so that's what that is. So I was taking a picture of that, and, I, and it was talking about... Mashiach and obviously anything about Mashiach I always want to read and so I was just like wait Mashiach's gonna be anointed and again this was in Tehillim um oh my goodness XLV 
I don't like Roman numerals, but that's where it was. If you're a Roman numeral person, I, I want to say it's like 50, but like, don't hurt me because I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it says, accordingly has God, your God, anointed you with joy above your peers. See, they put this thing like this um, in these Roman numerals, and then they don't put the real chapter on the same page. So that's why I don't have it. But again, I said I just took a picture of it. So, uh, and again, that is verse doo -doo -doo, 8. Yeah, verse 8. And it talks about the oil of joy, Shimon Sason says Ahavas Olam raises a halakhic question. If we interpret the psalm referring to Mashiach, then this verse teaches us that in the future Mashiach will actually be anointed with sacred oil. This seems to run counter to the Talmudic dictum. A king who is the son of a king is not anointed. Okay, and then it goes on because it's like he's direct descendant. So what's the deal? Well, the whole point, I think, of that, well, I don't think, I'm just pretty uh, conclusive as far as all the synthesizing thoughts, is that Mashiach is anointed because the kingdom was split, and it's going to be brought back together through him. So, that requiring that new anointment drop that we just read when I first looked at these pictures, that's what that's all about. So obviously the dove that came down or the Ruach HaKodesh that came down like a dove on Mashiach uh, when he was mikvahed by Yochanan, because he, he was already a king and a prophet, but Yochanan was the priest and Yochanan transferred that mantle to Mashiach. So that's what happened at that mikvah. So he was able to be anointed and mikvahed, which by the way, kings were anointed next to a river. And what is the Jordan? It is a river. So he was getting anointed and all sorts of stuff all right there. Just like Abraham. Abraham received the king and the priest and all that kind of stuff from Melchizedek when he uh, was on his way back from the battle against the, the four kings who defeated five kings. Back in Parsha, Leklaka and Vayera, all that back in that area. Okay, so... On to 53. So the 53rd parsha overall, and it says the gematria of 53. These are just my notes now. One of the gematriot is Gan, which is garden, also called paradise. So when you talk about the garden, when you talk about paradise, this is where Mashiach said, you will be with me today in paradise. When he spoke to the thief on the crucifixion stake next to him, the one who had realized his error of his ways and was like, man, I am so far from God. I rightly deserve my punishment. However, whatever teshuva I can make, I definitely want to make it. And whatever I can't make, then, you know, Baruch Hashem, you're a just God. And Mashiach was like, say what? Get over here. Let's go. Anyway, uh, so that's the uh, Shomer Man Midrash. Anyway, uh, so Gan, Paradise, Garden. So that's this Torah portion. So the beautiful thing about this is the song that we will sing in the time to come. Because 
you know, you look at commentary on Hazino and it talks about why in the world would we want to remember this song? It's so tragic. It's so horrible. It's filled with like all this craziness. And it's like, well, it's equally filled with all this amazingness. And ultimately, it literally ends on a high note, pun intended, because Moshe ascends to Mount Nebo, which is like he ascends and he gets to look and all that kind of stuff going into the Zohar Baraka. Not quite dead yet, but this is the mountain he has to ascend before he dies. And so he's on a high note up there. <clears throat> but anyway, so the song obviously has a beautiful ending because it basically the end of it all is that Hashem will redeem us. And that all of the tears that we've cried, all the exiles we've gone through, all the horrors and the tragedies and terrible things. Yes, we, we endure, but again, Shaul HaShliach, the distinguished gentleman, writes, we can't reign with him if we're not suffering with him. So remember, we have to suffer if we're going to reign. Because that's the point of us coming down here, is to undergo trials, undergo testing, undergo temptation, undergo, as they say, Yisharim, sufferings and afflictions. Because we have to. Mesilat Yesharim can also, you can play with the word a little bit and make it Yisharim, change the sheen to a scene, and you have some sufferings going on. So Yesharim, way of the upright, way of the righteous, you know, path of the just, if you will, uh, can also be path of those who are afflicted because all righteous people are afflicted. And if you're not afflicted, you might want to worry about it because that doesn't bode really well. Because according to Proverbs, it says Hashem chastises those whom he loves. So if you're going through some tough stuff right now, then you know what? Baruch Hashem. Uh, Yeah, I say that to myself, too, because I'm definitely going through tough stuff. And uh, it's not easy to laugh and smile through it. But I tell you what. This is therapy right now. Uh, One of the thoughts I had in my head when I was getting set with all my notes on this podcast, my opening phrase after the Bracha and and praying for the redemption was going to be, what do you do when all things are falling apart all around you? You know, I got to watch a bar mitzvah with uh, my mishpachah this past Yom Rishon. And the young man who dearly loves his mother had to get up in front of the the community, carry the Torah, read from the Torah, you know, and give a drosh, you know, while his Ema, you know, wasn't present and due to different conditions that were going on. And I'm like, wait a minute, like this guy. He's like way younger than me. And he's like an army like by himself because he's he's going through so much in his mind and his heart on his bar mitzvah. Yes, but more so on his family. Like what's going on, you know, that he can't. Uh, he can't deal with or he can't be there for and obviously other people who are surrounding him and supporting him and they're feeling the same thing but yet he presses forth and he pushes through 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is the youngest savage I've ever seen in my entire life. So yes, I'm talking about Levi. So Levi Ben Hillel, I just want to shout you out on this podcast, Hazinu GT, that you inspire me. And I can't tell you that enough because you did something that shook worlds, literally, because who at any age can put aside personal grief and pain to get up and do something that's absolutely nerve wracking, something that you've prepared for for a while. Yes, but yeah, you're you're doing it and you're having to push all things aside and just focus. And I'm like, this is crazy right now. So that's my uh, little soapbox. Uh, well, I got more soapbox, I guess, so I don't need to say that. But I just wanted to say that, you know, when when it seems like things are falling apart around you and it seems like you're super afflicted, just know this is the path of righteousness. You found it. Good job. Stay on it. Don't get off of it, because here's the deal. I, I'm pretty sure all of us are surrounded by this, but I definitely uh, see it uh, like with a magnifying glass, it feels like. But such are our times, right? That people who don't walk the path of righteousness, people who don't strive for Torah observance, people who don't subject themselves to Hashem being the king or ruler over their lives, they have fun with big old fake plastic banana rock and roll good times, not really uh, quotation marks around them. Because these fun times as they're called, only lead to more heartache and only lead to more pain, only lead to less and less shalom. However, when we go through our tests and we go through our trials, walking in Torah, hearkening to the voice of Hashem as much as possible, making as much teshuva as possible, now we experience increased levels of joy, increased levels of shalom, and increased levels of really yearning for the redemption, like having no qualms with the this exile ending, because we're like, please, this should have been over 2,000 years ago, but we digress. Yeah, all of us digress on that, right? But anyway, so I just think it's incredible to know that, you know, when when it seems like life is tough and we're going through things that we're pushing through, and this is amazing, and we're going forth. So, Hazinu, you know, being a picture of that and how we're to remember this song because, yes, we're going to go through things, but at the end of it all is the Geula. And even, again, back to the Drosh from Shabbat, that the reward is for the Alam Haba. And guess what? It won't be diminished. Nobody can steal it. They can kill you and you're still going to have your reward. They can, you know, whatever. Uh, they can't they can't steal it. Moths can't get to it. They can't take it from you. I don't know what other way to say that. I was trying to figure it out and I'm drawing a blank. But that's the thing. If you go and strive for reward in this world, if you go get the fanciest car in the world and get a flat tire. Oh, goodness. But guess what? Hashem's reward, no damage. Because in the Alam Haba, no damage to your reward. 
It's stored up, literally stored up. Moths and rust can't get to it. If you have a fancy car of some sort, it won't get a flat. Transmission won't go out. Nobody will break the window. Nobody will even steal it. Uh, if you got a fancy house or something like that in this world, foundation could go bad. You know, windows could crack open. You know, all sorts of crazy stuff. That you're like, no, this is my house, my dream house. And it's gone. Okay. So, again, just... Just something to think about. Say la, say la, say la, say la, 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 la. Okay. So, yeah, that's the point of Hazinu. I just love reading that in a Hasidic commentary about because, you know, Hazinu is broken up into sections throughout the Shabbats that happen over a given time period. And during the Musaf portion of Shabbat, which is between Shakarit and Minka, you'll add an additional uh, avoda service time, and during that time you read a portion of Hazinu and Shaik. It's this is the Shabbat. What if we have to read about all the horrible, terrible tragedies? It's like, yeah, get you some. So anyway, all right. Next point on fifty-three is Hayovel. Okay, I don't know why I'd say it like that, but. The Jubilee, Hayovel. Uh, this is specifically, I, okay, I find this interesting. I'm trying to figure out how to say this because the Yovel is, yes, the Jubilee, but it's really the blast of the ram's horn. And specifically, it's the ram's horn. And specifically, the horn of the ram that was sacrificed as Yitzhak for the Akeda. So I'm trying to connect this here, like in a cohesive way, because when I read the notes, I'm like, okay, got it. I did the definition, looked up the word, traced all the first use out and all that. By the way, law of first use, get you some of that. If you learn a Hebrew word, look at the first time it's used, and that'll give you the best definition of it. That'll also teach you like just cool insights and illumination, you know, and see when that word occurs so that you can connect all those scenarios up because surprise, Baha Turin, that's what he does to do some gematria insights. So for those of you who are into gematria, get you some of that. Okay. Get the gematria of your word. See what this word is used throughout the Torah Tanakh and connect those passages together. Yep. Okay. So this jubilee happens at the blast of the horn that was sounded or the blast of the horn that came from the Akeda. So in other words, the true jubilee has its source in the Akeda. Okay, because without the Akeda, without the Akeda, you could not have a jubilee horn to blast. I mean, you could have a horn to blast, but if you really want to have a jubilee, you blast the horn from the Akeda. Which means, in Shemot, at Mount Sinai, when it said that Hashem blew through the horn, one of the horns of the Akeda, then uh, what was he really doing there? He was giving us a jubilee 
And when Mashiach spoke in the synagogue, I wish he would speak in our synagogue, like in person, like he did, you know, there. But, you know, I digress. Anyway, um, in the gospel accounts, he's speaking and he says he came to announce the Jubilee. You know, the year of the Lord's acceptable favor. And it's just kind of like, say what? You know, he read the first part of that. And then he closed up the scroll. He was just like, because there's a two-part mission, my mission is going to be interrupted by a little bit of death, and then a little bit of life is going to come back, and then a lot of bit of life is going to pour out on the whole entire world for those who have ears to hear. But anyway, so all of that goes down, right? So I just think it's really amazing that the Jubilee is all connected to the Ram of the Akedah. And um, I'm going to go ahead and fast forward. All the way down to, oh my goodness, did I, okay, cool. I was about to say, did I even take a note of this? Rebenu Bakia, just all sorts of violent, says, According to the Rashi, on Shemot 19.13, the horn of the ram Abraham had sacrificed instead of Yitzhak, Okay, so that that's what Rashi was bringing down. He says what Rashi meant was that although the ram had been burned up as an ola, which is a whole burnt offering, nothing should be left. He says, which is completely burned up, including its horns, God had resurrected to its original condition. So that's the thing. Yeshua says, I'm the life and the resurrection. And then Hashem at Mount Sinai is blowing this horn. And then Yeshua in the synagogue is blowing this horn. You know, he's literally tooting his own horn, but in the most kosher way possible. And because, you know, he was the most, he was even more humble than Moshe. Get you some of that. But anyway, Moshe uh, learned his humility from David, who learned it from Mashiach and all that goodness. Okay, so. I just think it's so interesting that the life and the resurrection is what gives us our jubilee. And so when we look at this song, songs are truly, you know, when you think about them in a sense, they are kind of immortal. Because these music notes, you know, they ring out and they echo, they reverberate and they continue to flow from their source. And so... We know the timelessness of music that, you know, once you press play on it or whatever device you're using it from, get that actualized out into creation uh, because matter has memory, by the way. So any form that this music has permeated into, if that matter still exists, which it does, uh, you can still pull that music out. So that's a crazy science talk. Shouts out to Professor Bill uh, on that because he's been uh, hooking me up with some craziness on that but anyway uh yeah so you can technically have music that spans throughout all ages and centuries kind of like the word of Hashem which was sang into creation because uh Bereshit one of the ways is God sang creation into existence so uh permutating the word Bereshit you can get Beshir which is in song or with song Hashem created so there's all that. <clears throat> That's some Rabbi Trugman to source that out. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, and so Rabbeinu Bakia goes into a whole thing about every part of this ram was used, and it's just kind of like, okay, again, this ram was used as a whole burnt offering. There was nothing left, but yet there are copious amounts of sources. Rabbeinu Bakia, Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, Pirkei Avot, and even the Midrash says gets it some. Uh, talking about the different parts of this ram that was used. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this ram is supernatural. It died, but it didn't. I mean, it died, but it was still somehow able to be used for lots of things that happened way after its quote unquote time. Okay. Say la. I don't know what to do with that information. That's just too much. Okay. So moving on to something <laughs> a little more, um, hopefully grab on too. Yes. Grab on That's a word now. Grab on something that you're able to grab on to. Um, cause I, I, I felt like I had the Jubilee thing and then it just, it, Thanos got it, you know, like snap. Okay. Anyway, um, it says the Gematria of 53 is Evan. Yes, Aleph, Bet, Noon. This is about to get crazy. Benny B, Vayashev, brings down. Talmud says a son is a limb of his father. Shiach is the right hand of Hashem. And Mashiach in Yochanan chapter 10 says, I and the father are Echad. Okay. And the Orthodox Jewish Bible, I just want to drop this in there while we're all swerved everywhere. Good thing we don't drive. We fly on this podcast because welcome to Shomer Man uh, Industries. Yeah, there we go. Shomer Man Industries. Everybody has their flight suit. Good, because we don't drive on the streets because it would not be safe. Too much swerving. Anyway, uh, and we're not even drunk, <laughs> as you suppose. Okay, anyway, Tehillim 33.6. Speaking of this, I and the Father are Echad. It says, By the word of God, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. All right, this from the Big Green Book says, After alluding to the principle of reward and punishment in verse 5, the psalmist now alludes to the principle that the universe is a created entity which became or which came into being by God's word. Hold up. Creation came into being kind of like man came into being. Creation is like a man. Man is like creation. This is why man is considered to be a world. Someone who saves a person is considered to have saved a world. So if that's the case with the Dom, how much more so with Mashiach? Because Mashiach is the element or the tool, better said, which brought forth creation. So yet Mashiach was brought forth into creation. So you have that which creates inside of what it created. Yeah, what? You know, that's like big bang in reverse. Like, how do you even fathom that? But anyway, uh, I digress, of course. It says... The creation came into being as a, a, a created entity by God's word, i.e. 
his will. This is why you've heard it said on an Aliyah day, you've heard it said at Sar Shalom, you've heard it said all throughout Lapid. The word of God is also called the will of God. I don't mean the tire because you shouldn't get tired of it. And this is where the rubber meets the road. But I mean like the will of God, like this is my desire. This is what I would love for you to do if you're mine. If you're not mine and you don't want to do this, then you will get drove over and it will drive you crazy. And yeah, it just you you will be tired of it anyway. So terrible car jokes with tires, but will W.I.L.L. I will continue. It says, as we read in Bereshit 1-3, God said, let there be light. Okay. Going on, it says, although the psalmist mentions the heavens, particularly, he, re he refers thereby to earth as well, since all of creation is dependent upon the heavens. Good night. So really, the heavens and the earth are one. Is this why Shemaim? If you put those two words together, Shemaim Aditz, it's the word for Aish at the first letters. And then um, when you look at the two, the Aleph and the Sheen, that's Aish, you have also uh, a picture of what was the, oh, Abraham and Sarah. Yes, there we go. So you have the pictures of the heavens and the earth and Abraham and Sarah, you have the pictures of the heavens and the earth and fire. This is why Mashiach, if we're followers of him, we're B'nai Abraham, you know, children of Abraham, son of Abraham. And then Sarah is our mother because only those who descended from Sarah, specifically from Rivka, specifically from Leah and Raquel are called B'nai Abraham. Because there's a pure lineage that happened through Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Yishmael was out and Esau was out. But Esau and Yishmael were always welcome because guess what? Noach's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yafet. Ham was like, I'm out. Yafet was like, I'm kind of in. I don't know. This, this Torah thing seems really cool, dad. And Shem was like, dad, I'll take on the mantle. And Noach was like, okay, Melchizedek, go get him. So, yes, Shem is Melchizedek, and that's how that all happened anyway. Um, yeah. Heavens and the earth are one, though, y'all. Like, everything is dependent upon the heaven. Mashiach says, I'm the bread of heaven. I had, some part of heaven had to come down to nourish creation. So, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Ah. <sighs> Trying to continue. Divine speech, as it goes on to say, in creating the world God intended to bring into existence an entity separate from himself, a space where his presence would not be readily perceived. In so doing, God set the stage for humankind to discover him in an environment in which he is seemingly absent. For us to recognize godliness on own terms, on our own terms, and with our own tools. 
Now it goes on, but I want to just stop there because this is the point I wanted to get at for going over here, was that you look at the Achad of the Father and the Son, and this whole thing about the Evan, and the Evan, by the way, is the foundation of creation. This is the stone from which all the earth flows from. This is like, is literally in some, some commentaries called the belly button of the world. And we know as human beings, we have belly buttons because this is how we received our nourishment when we were in the womb. Anyway, this whole point here is that there is this picture that Hashem is like, you know what? Through my word, I'm going to make a separate entity that I want to seek me and find me. And I'm going to give them every reason in the world to not believe in me. But yet. I want them to discover me. I want them to seek me out and search me out. Like, here's the thing. And so, by the way, our souls, when they're up in the in the garden, in paradise, before they come here, that we come down and Hashem sends us into the body. He gives us an oath. He says, be righteous. That's the only option we have. Everything else is chosen for us. We know what we're going to look like, we know how tall we're going to be, we know how much money we're going to make, and we know uh, if we're going to get married or not, and all that kind of stuff. But the only thing left up to our hands is if we're going to be a righteous person or if we're going to be a wicked person. So upon administering that oath, the, the whole reason we come here is because we have to attach ourselves to Hashem. There's a greater knowledge and intimacy, a greater connection to Hashem, a greater uh, connection, or the word is echad. You become a greater echad with Hashem only through leaving the garden and coming down into the world. So what does that say about mankind being kicked out of the garden to only be brought back to the garden? So we'll be able to take a fallen world, tacoon it, like repair it, and then restore it in time to come, which only happens through Mashiach. It was supposed to happen through Adam, but, you know, he was kind of a man and not like divine and stuff. And so that kind of slowed things down a little bit, a couple thousands and thousands of years, a little bit. But that's cool. That's why we need to, you know, stand up on the shoulders of previous generations, continue the work and see to its completion, you know. Uh, everything that we get to do as Lapid, as Avengers, uh, as followers of Mashiach, we get to bring in the final redemption, holding on to all that went before us to pave this way. We're paving the way because it seems like people who believed in Messiah and kept the Torah like that went dormant. Like what happened? You know, not important to know what happened as much as it is that is happening now. Let's take advantage of it and let's do it. Let's do this thing. Let's bring the final redemption. Quit playing around. We're tired of it. Okay, anyway, so there's just this uh, this thing about the concept is, you know, one becomes two in order to become one again. And the picture is, is how this brokenness that's the in between the oneness part is what's going to bring a greater connection when the two become one again. So our souls, when they come down, we have to descend. And then in our descent, should we make it through everything and push through our life and really seek out and find God, connect ourselves to him, 
then when we ascend, we're going to have a greater unity with Hashem than we had previously. Because we were just, we were just a bunch of souls chilling in the garden. And then we never went through anything. So it's just like, okay, Hashem, yeah, okay, we love you. You're awesome. Wish we could do something for you. And he's like, oh, if you could seek me and find me in a place where I seemingly don't exist. That's all. If you can do that, that'd be that'd be cool. And it's just kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. And we come down here and we're like, what in the, you know, uh, as cartoon characters, what in tarnations? I tell you what, you know, kind of thing. It's kind of how we feel because we're kind of like, Hashem, I want to go back to the garden. And he's like, well, you can if you live for me and bring <laughs> bring your mission to fruition uh, in the world because all of us have a purpose and uh, while I'm talking about this the other thought that was in my head when I was making my notes is that when you fulfill your mission when you fulfill your purpose that typically delivers you from sin it's interesting how that works if you really focus on the things that you're meant to do in life and do all the intricate uh, work that goes with it because I don't know if any of you know this. This may be the hugest secret ever. But in order for you to do something, you got to prepare for something. <laughs> like, I know, it's crazy. I just, just wanted to share that profound truth to everybody. Scream it from the rooftops. Anyway, um, but yeah, so if you find yourself wrapped up in preparing for what you know you're supposed to be doing, what really brings out your neshama, you know, those things that, you know, people are impacted by it, you know, you're impacted by it, you love doing it. It's just, it it brings life to the world. It brings life to your home, brings life to your own soul. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And you have to make all provisions possible for it. You know, for me to do what I love to do, I got to write songs. I got to compile uh, sources. I got to, you know, I need to exercise more uh, outside of work because my work is exercise. But that's cool. Anyway, but, uh, you know, do these things to help me prepare so that as the opportunities occur for me to do what I'm supposed to be doing, that's how that all works. So um, as I am toiling and as I'm studying Sages also say this too, this is why you should have tour study and a trade, a job. If you don't have a job and all you're doing is tour studying, please stop, return to Yeshua and start from there because you need to get a job. If you're five, I'm jealous, but you need to get a job too. Go out and play, uh, go swing, climb a small tree, uh, Get a cup of water and a plastic cup for your parents. Do something. Work. I don't care. Five years old. You know how to walk? Make it happen. <clears throat> anyway, five-year-old studying Torah. Good night. Okay. Back to Benny B. Okay. So we got the, the Evan, right? This is all 53. This is all Parsha Hazinu stuff. This is the order in which this Torah portion occurs. I'm still laughing about the five-year-old that needs to get a job. Okay, but anyway, I'm going to try to focus. Okay, so back to what Benny B has said, because he was like, a son is a limb of his father. By the way, that's in Talmud 
uh, Eruvine 70B and also connected to Sanhedrin 104A. And uh, let me just read those real quick. The Sanhedrin says a son brings merit to his father through his good deeds, i.e. learning Torah, etc. He does so because... Okay, so that's the end of Sanhedrin 104a. Now they're going to cross-reference it to uh, Eruvin 70b. It says, because bera karea de avua. A son is considered an extension, literally the leg of his father. Either because the son and father are part and par parcel of each other, i.e. echad, joined together, or because the father is considered the gorim, which is the cause, which is the picture of Hashem opening his mouth, whatever that looks like, to speak, because Hashem is beyond the form that we're made in his likeness of. That's a lot. Okay, anyway, so when Hashem opened his mouth and he spoke, that's when Yeshua came out. Because remember, Yeshua is the word of Hashem. It's like Hashem speaks, and that's Yeshua. And then the words that we speak are literally our essence. They come from our overflow of our heart and to our brain and to our mouth. You know, so there's the whole thing about Mashiach is the heart of the Father. He's the mind of the Father. This is why in Mashiach we've been given the mind of God. Okay, you have the mind of Mashiach. You have the mind of God. Same thing. Torah, word of God, spoken, spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is also the Word of God. Because the Spirit of God is the essence of God. This is why uh, when you read about the Spirit hovering over the waters in Bereshit chapter 1, it's also called the throne of God hovered over the waters or the Spirit of Mashiach hovered over the waters. And it's just like, but it says Ruach Elohim. How does that work? The answer is, it does. Okay, anyway, so... Continuing on, it says they're joined together because the father said the Gorim, the cause of his son's actions, i.e. the son emulates him by following in his footsteps. Yeshua said something to that effect. Can't remember. Just kidding. He said it all throughout the Gospels. But then it says, in other words, the son's actions and accomplishments are considered as the father's. The son's actions and the accomplishments are considered as the fathers and are credited to the father. Can I get an amen? Okay. So, yeah, so that just happened. Thank you, Benny B, for sharing that ridiculousness because we're talking about the Evan. Why do I bring all that up? Because Evan, if you do a little... Uh, you know those little circle charts where you draw a circle inside of a circle? Like two circles next to each other, but they have a little overlap in the middle. If you did that around the uh, circle Aleph Vet, which is Av, that's father, then draw another circle around the Bet and the Noon, you'll see an intersecting point, which is the Bet, okay? Which is going to, I'm calling it, for lack of a better term, call this the middle circle. You see in this middle circle the bet, and bet is two, but a bet is where the two are one. You know, where the husband and the wife, two people, but they're one, right? And the woman 
is likened to an how to the, to a house in Judaism. So a man without a house basically is a man without a wife. So you have this house here, and then you have the picture in Evan that there's the Av and the Ben, the father and the son, and they intersect when it comes to the house. This is why when we come into Hashem, we come into the Achad, we come into the house, we come into the Torah. The Bet is the first letter of Torah. The Aleph is the first letter of the, um, the Ten Commandments. And because Anoki, which is all the commandments uh, wrapped up just in that one word, but I digress from there. Noon, where does noon come in? Noon is the 50 gates of wisdom. Let me give you a little quick shot on 50 gates of wisdom. Because the 50 is uh, noon, it is the uh, Shavuot and all that. Okay, so creation of Israel is from Jewish wisdom of the numbers. Says the creation of Israel in the 50 days between Pesach and Shabbat, it took Israel 50 days to be created. Say what? Anyway, uh, yeah, between Pesach and Shabbat ties into another aspect of symbolism found in this number. God created the universe, noon, Sha'are, Bina. 50 gates of understanding. He created the world with this 50 gates of understanding. The 50 gates relate to the ascending spiritual levels within the world through which man must pass in order to uncover the inner secrets of creation in order to comprehend the powers, capabilities, and life forces within yeah, so your 50 is completely the Evan. It's completely the picture I was talking about of how our souls have to descend, come down, and seek out Hashem, and Hashem totally wanting us to find Him where He is seemingly absent. Uh, we need to recognize godliness on our own terms and with our own tools, and this happens through the 50 gates of understanding, which happens through Torah, happens through the Evan, happens through... The father happens through the son. Father and the son are one. And that's 53. This is Ha'azinu. This is another picture of how through Ha'azinu we descend and we uh, use all of our tools and we go through all of our life and all of our experiences, all of our travels and conditions and things like that. And we find Hashem. So <clears throat> there's that picture. Um, just because I'm going to continue this Benny B because he was quoting from by he was commenting on Vayashev. Benny B is ladder of Jacob, by the way. So, uh, he's quoting on Vayashev and Vayashev is, I don't know, it's my Torah portion or something like, of course it's my Torah portion. So I love it. Uh, anytime I see Vayashev, I'm like, I'm like ants on a piece of cheese. You can see me and why are you eating my cheese? Because that's how I feel about ants. I see you, and why are you eating my cheese? Second of all, if ants are getting to your cheese, it must be Sukkot. Did I say Sukkot? Right, because Sukkot's happening. It's coming up just a few days, a few. Uh, right now, we got uh, Yom Kippur. I'm digressing again, I know. Man, I'm like a, 
a commercial on YouTube. You're just like watching your video and all of a sudden it's like, did you know you can save $10 off your, you know, like what, what I'm watching a drosh. Anyway, I'm like my own advertising over here. But anyway, um, yeah, so we have Yom Kippur coming up. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Okay. If you're not forgiving, Hashem won't forgive. That's something. Mashiach taught us that. But let's speed on past Yom Kippur. Uh, Bezrat Hashem, if, if time allows, I don't know how much time I'm allowing right now because all of this digression. But um, we'll talk more about that because Torah Wellsprings has some amazing uh, information on that. Getting the sudden conviction that I should go ahead and read it now. Stand by on Benny B. Vyashev. <laughs> Torah Will Springs on Yom Kippur. Good night. What is wrong with this guy? Crazy. The importance of the Vidui. So when we do this confession part, it says Rebbe Bunim of Peshicha. May his memory be blessed taught that the primary judgment isn't on the Averos. Primary judgment isn't on our sin. Good night. The judgment is mostly on why didn't he do Teshuvah? People often have lots of excuses why they act as they do, and sometimes their excuses are valid. For example, I didn't have teachers to show me the right way or I had health issues which prevented me from devoting myself to serving Hashem or the Yetzirah took control of my heart and mind, good night, and prevented me from serving Hashem. He has excuses, excuses, excuses. And it is possible that Hashemite will accept his alibis. But the question is, why didn't you regret your sins? Why did you why didn't you say Vidui? Why were you complacent about your sins? Why didn't you at least try? The Midrash Naso 13:3 states that after Adam ate from the tree of knowledge, Hakadosh Baruch Hu pleaded with him to do Teshuvah. If you do Teshuvah, I will welcome you. But Adam didn't. Oh my word. Adam didn't. He didn't repent, and that was the worst part of his sin. He was therefore banished from Ganiden. Adam had excuses for his sin. He said, The woman gave me from the tree. The problem wasn't the sin as much as that he had no regret for what he did. Wow. It's a bit much. Uh, do we regret our sin? And are we making excuses? Are we doing Teshuvah? Man. Okay. So the next thing is over here. Hmm. Let's go ahead and go down to my. There's like lots of pages of information. So I'm just trying to get to some of the things. Literally the highlights because I highlighted a bunch of stuff. So there's this whole argument that's going on about someone who offended somebody in the shul and all this kind of stuff. And um, it says, I will never forgive you. You embarrass me in front of everyone. On Thursday night, the fifth night of Hanukkah, <clears throat> the Rebbe 
called for the Bakur, and the Bakur came into the Rebbe's home. There was a Chok Le Yisrael Humash on the table. Spiritual. Here we go. Opened to <laughs> setup. <laughs> Spiritual setup. Double whammy. Open to that day's lesson, he asked the Bakur to read the Zohar. The Bakur began saying, studying the Zohar. It told the story stated above about Reb Abba, who saw two miracles happen to a person because the person was cautious to forgive everyone before going to sleep. By the way, the beautiful thing about the bedtime Shema is that there's a whole passage in there about forgiving everyone. And because of our forgiveness, Hashem will cause miracles to happen. We store up merit through our forgiveness. Side note, that's other parts of stuff in here. I didn't highlight that part, but they talk about it. There's a guy, basically, he was sleeping somewhere. The ground was like about to collapse in. And then there was like a snake. And then like something stirred him awake. He got out of the tent and he uh, the ground fell apart. And then there was a snake about to get him. And the snake, something happened to it and it. it the snake ended up not biting him or anything. It was something uh, just, why don't I read it? Okay, so benefits of forgiving. Swerve number 18,000. Okay, in the Shulchan Aruch, after stating the obligation of forgiveness on Erev Yom Kippur. Currently, as I'm making this podcast, it's Erev Yom Kippur. Forgiveness time. Make it happen. Okay, when asked forgiveness, oh my goodness. Zippor Aish on Anchor, y'all, did a whole podcast about forgiveness. I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, Hashem is consistent. And I'm like, that's an understatement. <laughs> anyway, shouts out to Zippor Aish. Okay, so uh, it says, when he asked or when asked forgiveness, one shouldn't be cruel and not forgive. For forgiving, he will, he will receive many brachot. Sometimes miracles will happen. Here's the Zohar. Are you ready for this? Rob Abba was sitting at the gates of Lud and saw someone tired from his travels lie down on a mound of earth. Okay, so it wasn't a tent. It was a mound of earth. This is why you should always read your sources and not try to remember them and quote them off the top of your head. Anyway, I digress again. He uh, he lied down on a mound of dirt. A snake came towards him, but suddenly a heavy object fell and killed the snake. Sleeka. When the man awoke, he saw the dead snake. He got up to leave. As soon as he walked away, the mound of earth he was sleeping on crumbled and slid down a steep cliff. His life was saved a second time. Got a two-for-one special for being a person of forgiveness. Reb Abba went over to him and said, Tell me what you do. I see that Hakadosh Baruch Hu made two miracles happen for you, and it isn't for nothing. The man replied, Every day I make peace with all the people who hurt me. I don't go to sleep until I forgive everyone who wronged me. I ignore the bad they did to me, and instead I seek to do kindness with them. All right, let's gauntlet this thing. Uh, be at peace with everyone as much as it depends upon you. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Forgive others as your father forgives you who is in Hashemayim. 
and uh, sit up on your bed at night and tremble uh, thinking about the word of God. In other words, uh, say the bedtime Shema. That should keep a healthy, fresh dose of fear of Hashemayim over us, lest we not fall asleep into um, all sorts of wickedness. Because, you know, nighttime is a is a very interesting time if you don't have it in check, you know. So you don't want to go to sleep vegging out to things or letting your mind wander and all that kind of stuff. Go to sleep with the bedtime Shema. You'll have a much better safeguarded uh, living space and your your soul will thank you for uh, being so kind. Anyway, <clears throat> so there's that. Uh, did I miss one? Don't go to sleep angry. Be a shalom with everyone. Okay, cool. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall become they shall be called sons of God. Okay, come on. Anyway, so back to this story with the bakur and the rib. Okay, so the rib waited until the bakur finished the passage, and then he said to the bakur, "Do you understand? The way." of the Torah is to forgive. There is no other way. Forgiveness is direct Torah. It is the way, it is the path, it is the truth of Torah. It is the life of Torah. So I thought that was interesting because the way of the Torah is forgiveness. So hence Mashiach being a person who forgave us, even at the most horrible time when we were spitting insults at him and nailing him to a tree. He was like, I still forgive. Okay, and the Nela, which is not to be confused with Kol Nidre. Kol Nidre is about uh, you're annulling all vows. The Nela is like the closing of the gates. So you have your bookends to Yom Kippur. At least the fasting portion. Because Yom Kippur begins with getting your grub on in a very holy and feasting and thankful manner. And forgiving manner, I should say. So if you haven't uh, been aware, there's this wonderful, so this little known video, uh, it's not really cool, but you know, whatever, uh, just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Like three kidding instead of two kidding. Um, it's called Yom Kippur and the Seven Secrets. And it comes from Lapid Live, Lapid Judaism. So uh, Google that get your youtube on for that that's a wonderful video i got to be on set while it was filmed and i wasn't right for all the days leading up to when it came out and then it came out and i watched it twice actually three times and i'm still not right so anyway it in there uh rabbi griffin talks about uh yom kippur begins with eating so and then he obviously said it on the aliyah day for the third reading of parsha hazinu so the Neilah prayer, again, this is all from Torah of Wellsprings. It says the climax of Yom Kippur is Neilah, as the Mishnah Beruah writes, which is a Shulchan Aruch section. One should be very zariz with his tefillah because of the purpose of the Aseris Yamei Teshuva, 10 days of Teshuva. And it or um, because the purpose of the 10 days of Teshuvah is Yom Kippur. Wow. Purpose of the 10 days of Teshuvah is Yom Kippur. And the purpose of Yom Kippur is Neila. 
for everything is dependent upon the closure. Okay, so if we go back to our Tehillim passage, everything is dependent upon the heavens. This is like your opening and closing point, which would be why the goal of Torah is Mashiach, because the Torah came from the place of where Mashiach comes from, and earth is dependent upon the heavens, which is all dependent upon Hashem. And so you have this picture here that you got the 10 days going out, headed towards Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur is like, but Neila, Neila. And so everything is dependent upon there. So you just kind of have these little points of, you know, the source, the ends, the olive tabs, if you will, the bookend points. So the purpose of Yom Kippur is Neila. So Neila is when Hashem signs the decrees for the upcoming year. And we trust that Hashem will sign us for life, happiness, nachas, which is like all sorts of fancy provision or parnasah is another way to say it. And wealth. Uh, nachas is also from the word nachum, which nachum, which is comfort. So all sorts of comforting blessings and things like that, which kind of connected to Parnassah, but then you have wealth as well over here. It says, there is immense rakamim at this time and all our sins are atoned. This is why in Akari Mot, it says Hashem will make atonement for you. And also the Torah World Springs brought down that if we don't, or if we do something without Amuna which is without faith and faithfulness, that it is considered sinful. So if we don't trust Hashem and we go through Yom Kippur doing everything, we're sinning, for lack of a better terms, because we're not we're not trusting Hashem to do what He said He would do, which is kind of like saying, Yeah, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, except you're a Trinity and you're not, you know, you're not a Chad, so... You know, there's that. So it's kind of like quoting the word of God, but not really doing it, which is not good. So, okay, that was awkward. So let's just keep moving. The Ramkal writes that during Neila, one can attain the level of Adam Harishon before his sin. Ramkal, really? Ramkal, and that's all. Um, Yeah, so anyway... That's some Yom Kippur stuff. And while I'm talking Yom Kippur, getting back to Benny B on 53, which was Evan. Um, it is time to be working on the sukkah. So if you haven't worked on your sukkah yet, uh, it is preferable to at the conclusion of Yom Kippur and after Kiddush Labunah to obviously after you eat and everything uh when the fast ends don't eat before the fast ends unless you really have to for life over law stuff but um <clears throat> and all those other conditions that the rabbis including our rabbi come on brings down about who gets to eat on yom kippur but anyway uh at that point in time you want to go out and put your first nail in your sukkah get in the sukkah Okay, you want to be able to do that. Uh, so yeah, Sukkot is coming up. So you're going to have a few days before Shabbat to uh, build your Sukkah. Namely, uh, a fifth day and a little bit of prep day. 
but prep day is probably a good time to be getting ready for Shabbat. Then you'll have after Havdalah and then on the beginning of Yom Shani. So Sunday evening will be Erev Sukkot. So you'll be candle lighting and you should be done with your sukkah by that time. So as of this podcast, you have a little less than a week to finish building your sukkah. Or you probably have three days because of Yom Kippur and all that. But anyway, all that being said, uh, get your sukkah ready. Your sukkah is literally the place that you're going to celebrate your wedding with Hashem because Yom Kippur is the wedding day. This is why all couples go through a Yom Kippur of their own before they get married. They have a day of fasting and then they enter in underneath the hoopah and then they become, you know, Yehud, you know, through vows and uh, the circling ceremony and all of that. And they're likened to newborn uh, babes. They're born again, which happens through Yom Kippur and the Neilah. You know, at the wedding, they sign the ketubah. Again, we just learned Hashem signs the decrees at the ne'ilah. So you have the conclusion of Yom Kippur being, okay, we're married now. Let's go set up the wedding uh, festivities, which is the seven days of Sukkot, which is why I know Sukkot's really eight days because Shemini Atzeret, but you don't sit in your sukkah on that day. And you actually say farewell to your sukkah on the seventh day of Yom Kippur or uh, on Sukkot. So there's all that because the seventh day of Sukkot is the last time you're going to sit in it. So, yeah, so you'll have to say goodbye, farewell to you, my friend, until we meet again. Bezrat Hashem and the final Geula which man happens speedily and sooner in our days because we're going to be sitting in some real fancy sukkahs then. But anyway, so you'll have your sukkah, your seven days, because weddings in uh, Jewish antiquity, antiquity lasted seven days long. So this is where you should turn the water into wine. Remember that? The wedding at Cana? Come on! Anyway, talked a little bit about that in the hand-washing gospel uh, on that podcast. Okay, so... 53, Benny B, Vayeshev, here we go. He says that a son is a limb of the father. At the very heart of the child's consciousness lies an inescapable truth. He is his father's child. An extension of his being, a projection of his personality and body, they have become two distinct entities. In essence, they are one. That's from Yankee Tauber um, on what's called The Head. So there, that was written and composed by them. Okay, and then uh, we go on down. Going on down. Ready for this? This is Rebbe Nachman from Lakute Maharon, Volume 1, Chapter 22, 10. Or Lakute Maharon 1. And then chapter 22, section 22, 10, and from volume three. There we go. All right. Bear sheep 49, 24. From there, the shepherd, the Evan, which is the rock of Israel. Ankelos translates Evan as a composite of Av and Ben, father and son. This is the complete statement. Father and son as one, 
which is Yokona on 1030 again, for a half statement corresponds to the son alone, but the complete statement is father and son as one. Everything is encompassed there. And through this one can come to the concept of shepherds as above. Hence, this is the meaning of from the shepherd, the Evan of Yisrael. Again, that's Rabbi Nachman, Breslev, Lakute Maharon 1, section 2210, and volume 3. Okay, and obviously, again, Yochanan 10.30, I and the Father are Echad, two distinct entities, but one in essence. But if you really look at this, because, you know, when Yankee Tauber was talking, says in body they have become two distinct entities. Okay, so when it really comes to talking about the body of a Shem, this is Mashiach, which is a manifestation. Then you have the temple, which is another manifestation. Then you have the tablets, which is another one. You have the ark, which is another one. You have the pillar of cloud, which is another one. And so you have like all these different quote unquote bodies, but they're all one, like in essence. So it's way beyond a trinity if you ever wanted to go that route. I don't know why I keep bringing up trinity. Maybe... Maybe for some reason this needs to be talked about uh, because the Trinity is a very damaging doctrine that uh, keeps a lot of people tripped up and it blocks up the ability to soak in the word of God. Because if you try to filter everything through the Trinity, you're going to miss some things. But anyway, uh, so yeah, so you have, but the essence of it all is Hashem because Hashem is without end. So when you put him in a form that, quote unquote, has an end, you know, um, that's a manifestation. And truly, that manifestation has no end. This is why the sapphire tablets, even though they were broken and the words ascended back up to Shemaim, the sapphire tablets were still kept with the second set of tablets in the same arc. And if you had the broken pieces and not the second set or the second set and not the broken pieces, you had an incomplete picture. Just like the two Mashiachs. If you don't have Mashiach ben Yosef and you only have Mashiach ben David, incomplete. And if you have Mashiach ben Yosef and don't have Mashiach ben David, incomplete. So anyway, just a little uh, thought on that, because if you kind of get into the Ankylos uh, drop here that just happened, you know, you want to make sure you keep it, keep it all the chad. Sleeka. Okay, so that's all 53. Five plus three is eight. Quick drop on eight, Hanukkah. There are eight days of Hanukkah. And this is a rabbinic festival. And it says that the main decrees was to discontinue Brit Milah, which circumcision on the eighth day. Here's another eight. So there was this whole Greek thing to Hellenize the Jewish people, uh, seduce them and cause them to forget their Torah. This is why Ha'azinu is a song that helps us to not forget our Torah. As Rabbi Griffin brought down on an Aliyah day, Yom Rishon, first reading, he said, Hazinu is takes up 
all of chapter 32. And in chapter 32, you have the Bet and the Lamet, which is the first and last letter of Torah. And therefore, Hazinu is likened to the whole entire Torah. Get you some. So when we're looking at Hanukkah, you're looking at, hey, people are trying to make you forget Torah. And if they're somewhat successful, if you've remembered the song Hazinu, you've now just won. You know, you've defeated their feeble attempt to make you forget Torah. And uh, when you look at, uh, I believe it's music notes. Let me check this out real quick because I made a little note of it and I want to make sure I'm right on this. I believe there are technically seven notes on a musical scale, but there are technically eight because the eighth one is a new, uh, a new, like a new uh, octave. So let me see music scales. A little PDF here. Yeah, eight is called Return to Home. So you have major and minor scales. You have, you know, the Do, Re, Mi, So, Fa, So, La, Ti, Do, right? Okay, so you have seven notes, and then the eighth note is really the beginning of the next seven. So when you're looking at this eight here, you have this whole picture of the song and what helps you to not forget the Torah. Okay, so make sure you sing, sing, sing. Make music, make music, make music. I mean. Okay, so there's that. Now, remember I said the Torah can also be counted as, you know, a brand new scroll of Torah. Or kind of quotations on brand new because we know nothing's new. But Sefer Devarim is considered to be a small Ant-Man size Torah portion. So you have the overall count, but then you can start counting in Devarim. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. There are 11 Torah portions in Devarim. Technically 10, because what do you do with Nitzavim and Vayelik? Do you split them? Do you keep them together? The answer is yes. So there are 10, 11 uh, Torah portions in Devarim. So this year there will be 11. Um, but again, that, that last Torah portion that we read, we always read it during Simchat Torah, Shemini Zeret that day. And so we don't ever read it on a Shabbat. So we don't ever really get a lot of time to focus on it. But uh, with the help of Hashem, I plan to do a Vezot Habaraka GT. And uh, I will be taking the gloves off if I get the opportunity. So we're just going to go in. No holes barred. No format, just going crazy. Anyway, kind of what this podcast is seeming to be. Because I haven't even gotten into any insights. I'm just looking at the numbers right now. Anyway, um, these are all insights. And they're beautiful. Thank you, Hashem, for your Torah. Okay, so the 10th parsha in Sefer Devarim is Ha'azinu. So let's look at our tens. We got the ten utterances of creation. It says God used a Sarah Ma Amarot. Ten utterances in the creation of the universe. The cosmos was built using these t- divine ten utterances 
and the mystical tradition this parallels the whole of creation being composed by Eser Sephirot, 10 emanations. That's how you say 10 Sephirot, Eser Sephirot. I love it because if you say Ma'aser, that becomes the word for tithe. So when you add a mem, because remember the mem represents 40, and there just so happens to be four tens because there are four worlds, you know, all the way from Azilu down to this lowest world, and you have 40. So if you put all four worlds together, they're a mem aser. They're a tithe, which is just a small portion of the whole, which means there's worlds beyond. Yes, that's what I'm getting at, as well as getting at make sure you pay your tithes because you're making or breaking the worlds, pun intended. All right. Anyway, so it says that this parallels the Eser Sefi wrote. Now that I know that, I'm going to start saying that. Okay, so, you know, you got Keter, Chokmah, Bina, uh, Chesed. Notice they don't say Da'at. What's up with that? Gevura, Teferet, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, Malkut. Da'at and Keter, by the way, Da'at and Keter, by the way, are uh, synonymous. So, yeah. Uh, say loud to my own self on that because I'm just, I don't know what to do with that information. Anyway, central column stuff. So another thing it says, Eser, which is the word for 10, is synonymous with Osher, which is wealth. As all the physical needs of a wealthy man are provided for. In this respect, such a person can be considered to have reached a state of completion in the physical realm. The innate quality of 10 as a complete set finds ample expression through the divine act of creation. The unfolding Jewish history from Adam to Abraham and miraculous wonders of Mitzrayim leading to the giving of the Torah at Sinai. Obviously, we can see that in Hazinu, the unfolding of Jewish history. So we see all of that. This is the innate quality of 10. Okay, here's the brain-breaking portion. The number 10 is the basis of the Jewish number system. A number can adopt any number as its base. A number system can adopt any number as its base. But in general, base 10 has now been almost universally adopted. Okay, before it continues, I just want to point out base 10 universally adopted, like the 10 commandments, the 10 utterances of Hashem universally adopted. Okay. It says here, numbers are grouped into units of 10. Just saying like the whole universe, the whole world, accepting Hashem is the divine creator through his 10 utterances. Hashem is our God, our king through his commandments, his Torah. All 613 collapse down into the 10 commandments. Hashem is like the ultimate packer, by the way. You know, you can have like 50,000 bags and all of a sudden, if you arrange them the right way, they can fit in the back of a minivan. 
Hashem is like, okay, I'm going to take 613 and I'm going to fit them all in the 10. And I'm going to take those 10 and I'm going to fit them all in the two. And I'm going to take those two and fit them all in the one. And you're just like, what? And then, you know what? I'll just take that one commandment and fit it all into a word, Anoki. And you're just like, okay, Hashem, you win. Anyway, here, numbers are grouped into units of 10 on a base 10 system. The count starts with one and ends with 10, whereupon this process is repeated again and again and again. So the next time you count to 10, you got 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. That's another 10. And then same thing for the 20s all the way to 30. Same thing for the 30 all the way to the 40. Here numbers are organized as multiples of 10 because you're going 20, 30, 40, right? Notice we do that with the gematria of the alphabet. We count 1 to 10. And then when we get to Kaf, it's 20. When we get to Lamet, it's 30. So we start going up that way. Then when we get all the way to 100, which is the Kuf, we start counting by hundreds, you know. So we've gone from tens to hundreds. And then we get all the way to Tav, which is 400. And then that's it. So it says adopting. Okay, so here numbers are organized in multiples of 10. We're 20 equals two units of 10, 30 equals three units of 10. The adopting of base 10 is actually reflected in the Hebrew language. Each of the first 10 digits is, is assigned a distinctive name. No new designation is provided for subsequent numbers following 10. The number 11 is not... Once, as it's said in Espanol, it is actually uh, Echad or Achad Ashar, literally one plus ten. This is why I love in uh, Spanish it's Diezi uno, Diezi dos, Diezi uh, tres, Diezi cuatro, Diezi cinco, Diezi seis. I just wanted to get the Dezzy Says. I like Dezzy Says. Dezzy Says. Dezzy Says Minutos. Okay. Anyway, which I wish my podcast could be Dezzy Says Minutos. But uh, obviously, I'm way past that. Anyway. So, de, uh, I was about to say Dezzy Uno or Omse. Uh, Echad, Echad, Asher, Aser, which is one plus ten. It has no independent name. Later groupings are modeled based upon their identity of multiples of 10. So like if you want to say 30, you have three base 10, which is called Sheloshim, based upon the plural of Shalosh, which is three. Then 40, you got Arbaim, which is four base 10, the multiple form of Arba, which is 40. Or which is four, Slika. Arba is four. Only when reaching new denom new denominations such as one hundred and one thousand are different names introduced. For one hundred you have Maya, for one thousand you have Elif, which by the way is the Gematria of Mashiach ben Yosef ben David. Put the two Mashiachs together, their Gematria is one thousand. And then you have Rebolt, which is ten thousand whose distinct Hebrew names indicate their p 
position as basic units. Okay, so you have basically, if you take this over to what we're looking at insight wise, when you get to the 10th parsha here, you have this being a complete unit, so it's Hazinu and da 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 da, which means we're gonna get to Vizoha Baraka here and we're gonna see that we have a song and a blessing. This is why we sing our blessings. Now, I did not even think to do this, but now that I am doing this, I want to go back to what's actually the 10th Parsha. And I believe it's in Bereshit. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Me, Kate's, of course. Now, me, Kate's is crazy because I was on, uh, let's see here. I was on Benny Benny B's uh, website, ladderofjacob.com. Me, Kate's, he did an article called Infinite Light. And then for Parsha Hazinu, or Slika, for Parsha Vayelik and Nitzavim, he did this thing about beyond space and time, all speaking to the infinity. And so now as we're at Hazinu, Hazinu has this song, this over recounting of history. And then in Parsha Miketz, you're going to have the same thing because Miketz is technically the Hanukkah Parsha which is all connecting us back to the whole eight thing because the 53rd Torah portion, Hazinu, five plus three is eight. And then you got the 10th Parsha of Devarim is Hazinu. And then the 10th Parsha is Miketz, which talks about the eight, which is the Hanukkah, because <clears throat> there's this whole uh, thing that's brought up here. Let me get to where he was talking about it. He says that he slept and dreamed the second time and behold, seven heads of grain came up and one stalk and came up on one stalk, healthy and good. Bereshit 41.5. Baal HaTurim comments one stalk. The mesurated note Gimel means that this phrase appears three times in the Tanakh twice in this narrative and once with regard to the menorah this indicated that the prosperity is a light for the world which is or leolam therefore pharaoh saw that the good ears of grain on one stock therefore pharaoh saw that saw the good the good ears of grain on one stock slika therefore pharaoh saw the good ears of grain on one stock but he did not see the scorched ears on one stock. So this whole point that when he saw the good stock, there was like a menorah picture. But when he saw the bad stock, he didn't see a picture of the menorah. Because the menorah is all about prosperity and light for the world. This is why when we talk about <clears throat> Teshuva, Tefila, Utsdaka, you know, on the three mitzvot for, uh, you know, we want to make teshuva, we want to pray, and we want to give zedakah. And this is um, to help with all the judgment that is, that's going on and that we want to pray for a good and prosperous and blessed year. Like these things are all there. And part of that is Hashem's light. You know, and so just kind of seeing that picture here in Hazinu that... 
we're singing to bring light into the world. Even though it seems like, oh my goodness, what is this? So just a little Hanukkah connection. Uh, he gets into infinite light. Benny B does because he, t he talks about the fact that uh, the, the words, let there be light, still echo and resonate through our creation. Let there be light. <clears throat> this light that is spoken of in Bereshit is not referring to a, the small spectrum of visible light, but to the primordial light that illuminated the universe at its inception. And then um, there's a, yeah, there's a tallit drop. Hashem wrapped himself in a tallit and irradiated with the luster of his majesty, the whole world from one end to the other. Bereshit Rabbah 3.4, that's where light came from. And then the light that Hashem revealed into the world was through concealment. So the light that we saw in the Torah was a concealed light. And then that light, by the way, became concealed after three days when Hashem brought forth natural light, which is the luminary and the stars, sun and moon, all that. So the light that came from the light, though. So, yeah, the light that came from the light, this is the light of Torah, the light of Mashiach. This is called Or Ein Sof. If you want some fancy, uh, you know, Kabbalistic terms, Or Ein Sof, the light that comes from Ein Sof. But let's go back to the Ain Sof. So before Hashem put his Toledo, it says, incredibly, the light that Hashem revealed into the world was through concealment or a contraction of his infinite light. The gematria of or light is equivalent to the Hebrew word for infinity, which is Ain Sof. And then it says, or is 207, Ain Sof is also 207. And yes, if you're a Hebrew person, you probably see the word Yosef. Nah. Yosef, nah. Please, Yosef, basically. Yosef, please. Uh, is the same gematria here of Ain Sof. So that's, that's crazy. Wasn't really planning on talking about that. But this is the picture that we get. We just read this on Shabbat. Uh, about Hoshiana, Hoshiana, Hatzlichana, please save, please save, you know, Hosanna in the highest, you know, blessing Mashiach ben David as he was riding in on a donkey. It says the light which HaKadosh Baruch Hu created on the first day was such that man could thereby see thereby from one end of the universe to the other. Leviticus Rabbah 11.7 the entire universe is estimated to be 93 point billion light years across or 93.2 billion light years across. Okay. And then it says, while oftentimes this light is spoken of as being quote unquote created, it was actually formed. The book of Yeshayahu describes this important nuance. It says, I form light and create darkness. Yeshayahu 45, 7. And notice when we say that bracha, we kiss our tefillin in the morning. And it's just kind of like, okay, what, what are we really saying here? Forms light, touching the arm, creates darkness, touching the head. Then we kiss. 
And it's just like, okay. So anyway, that's another Josh for another time. So back to the 10th portion here. So that's our 10. Hazinu itself, the Gematria is 79. Which you get uh, 7 plus 9 is 16. I didn't do any Gematrias for that. But um, one of the cool things about uh, 16, 1 plus 6 is 7. So there's our menorah again. Alright, so 16 here. Okay, so 79 is the Gematria of Ha'azinu. Hey, Aleph, Zayin, Yod, Nun, Vav. Uh, one of the words you have in here is the word for Yona when you uh, and you're left with Aleph Zion. Seven plus one is eight. So you have Yona and eight. OK, so just kind of looking at this for a moment. Uh, you have technically. I'm going to have to go back to Well Springs. I apologize. Technically, you have, I believe it's eight days. Let me see. How did they put this? Um, six days. All right. So just because I'm pulling this up, I just want to read this real quick. Rabbeinu Ephraim explains this Pasuk Devarim 16.20. We should pursue the mitzvah of Zadakah so that you will be sentenced for life. It says, Rabbeinu Ephraim says the letters for pursue spell Vav Tishrei, which is the gematria of the gematria of Vav is six. And it hints to the six days in Tishrei during the 10 days of Teshuva when we should be giving Zadakah. We can't give Zadaka on the two days of Rosh Hashanah and on Shabbat Shuva and on Yom Kippur. That leaves six days for giving Zadaka. So what I was uh, looking at was if there broke down some kind of way of Yona and eight, because we study Yona on um, on Yom Kippur. And uh, when we. Look at all the aspects of what Yona is all about. There's this whole picture of, you know, every opportunity in the world that Hashem gives to make teshuva and to nullify harsh judgments. So when you look at the Chet, let's look at this letter here. This will probably give some more insight. Okay, so we're going to go to the letter Chet. Open up my Jewish wisdom of the Aleph Bet, or wisdom of the Hebrew Aleph Bet, Slika. Go to the letter Chet. Chet is all about, of course, divine grace. So when you look at Yonah, you have this picture of the Chet attached to it when you're looking at Hazinu. So you have Yonah Chet, you have the divine grace, and Yonah. And Yonah itself means dove. Commentators like to point out that Yonah is the son of truth because Amitai is from the word Amet. Specifically, Amitai literally means my truth. And so you have the son of my truth is the one who is connected with grace. And this is Yonah, who is a dove. 
Israel is also called a dove. So you also have this idea that eight goes beyond the uh, natural limitations and you going beyond yourself, your natural limitations of your sins and coming to Hashem as a dove. Hashem goes beyond all rationality and grants us forgiveness to Shuva or grants us uh, atonement, Slika, and pardons us. And so Mita Kenege Mita, him being measure for measure, he's like, you go beyond yourself, I'll go beyond myself. And this is the true picture of grace because most people think, oh, God gives me grace. I don't have to do anything. And it's like, well, you're only getting grace because you're doing something. Which again, people who are adamantly trying to do something and they're really giving it all they got and they fall short, that's when people are usually willing to work with you. But if you're not giving it all you got and you fall short, it's just like, well, did you even try? Again, we just read that in Torah Will Springs about how if you... Uh, Look at the Averos, it's not per se the judgment on the Averos, the sins, as much as it is, why didn't you repent? Do you have any remorse? Why didn't you try? Or did you try? You know? So, just a couple of things. Uh, it says, besides the temple service, the number eight figures in many other aspects. You got circumcision, you got the eight threads of the Zitzit. You got Shemini Adzeret, the eighth festival uh, day of Sukkot. So, yeah, so eight really is all about temple service. And this is the, the day where we get to go into the Holy of Holies. So, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Well, we don't get to go in there. The, the Kohen Gadol gets to. So, yeah. One more eight drop. It says... The musical instruments accompanying the Psalms of the Levi'im. Eight musical instruments, uh, which is during the service, i.e. seven instruments and the choir itself for a total of eight. So, Yonah is also likened to a Mashiach ben Yosef uh, character. And so when you really look at Hazinu, it's bringing in... You know, the Redeemer who's supposed to draw us to repentance and the service that's supposed to be associated with that. So that's Hazinu. Uh, another gematria for Hazinu is 79, which is the full word together. And that word or that number corresponds to the word Eda, which is the congregation assembly. Rabbi Sachs bring down, brings down that there are three types of community in classical Hebrew, there are three different words for community. There's Eda, Zibur, and Kehila, which by the way, Kehila is where the word Kahal comes from, which is commonly uh, portrayed as the word church. So if you want the technical definition that it's supposed to be for the word church, because church comes from the word circe, which is circus, that's not what we want. That doesn't even get us back to Ecclesia. But Ecclesia was translated from Kahal, which translated, which is the root of Kahila, which is all about the uh, the types of community. So that's one of three. 
And the three types of community signify different kinds of association. Ada comes from the word aid, which means witness. By the way, if you rearrange Ada, you get Ha'aid. So another gematria of Ha'azinu is Ha'aid, which is the witness. Knowing that the heavens and the earth now are actually one unity, you can see now how Moshe was really speaking to one witness, which the witness is the heavens and the earth. So there's all that. But anyway, uh, the witness, and it says the verb Ya'ad carries the meaning of to appoint, fix, assign, destine, set apart, designate, or determine, which is all a play on the word for a da. You can get the word ya'ad, which makes it into a verb. So when the ada does what they do, it's it's called appoint, fix, assign, destine, set apart, designate, or determine. The modern Hebrew noun teuda means certificate, document, attestation, aim, object, purpose, or mission. The people who constitute an ada have a strong sense of collective identity. They have witnessed the same things. They are bent on the same purpose. The Jewish people become an Ada, a community of shared emuna, only on receiving the first command, as was shown in Shemot 12.3. And guess when they became an Ada? On the 10th of Nisan. What are we looking at going into Yom Kippur? The 10th of Tishrei. You have the seventh month and the first month, which are both called first months. But on the 10th day of both of those months, you have an ADA opportunity. You have the formation of a nation. So there's that. Og is also the gematria of Hazinu. As in the word used for baking cakes which is Uga, which comes uh, in Parsha Vayera, where the angels appear to, where Hashem like, uh, appears to Abraham. And he asks, Abraham asks Sarah to make Ugot, which is cakes, which are matzah cakes. There's another Midrash that there was another kind of cake that Korach and his assembly made to get the people to eat their way into rebellion against Moshe. And that was not a that was not a matzah cake. That was leaven cake. So Og, the giant, by the way, was around during the time of Abraham, and he wanted Sarah for himself. So when Lot got in trouble, he, he came running, which probably sounded like an earthquake, to Abraham and said, hey, Lot's in trouble. You should go save him. It's like, okay, are you coming with me? No. I just wanted to let you know because I could see everything. It's like, okay, well, I'll be right back. It's like, good, because when you die, I'm going to take Sarah. It's like, what was that? Oh, nothing. I was just, you know, clearing my, <clears throat> clearing my throat. You know, I was just, you know, it's a long distance from me to you. You know, I'm a giant and you're like a person. And like, you can't really hear everything. You know, so I just kind of clear my throat. He's like, okay, I thought I thought you said something about Sarah. No, no, Sarah's cool. She's awesome. Anyway, so that that's how that conversation went down. Again, Shomer Man Midrash. So you got Og over here being the Gematria of Hazinu. So what's the deal? 
Og is a part of our history that he was one of the barriers to the promised land. And so one of the things that we're going to have to remember as we go through all of our trials and as we head toward the final redemption, that we will have to overcome our ogs, our giants, turn them into leavened or unleavened bread like Sarah did. How do we take giants and turn them into matzah cakes through the commandments? This is why Yehoshua and Caleb was like, yeah, we can go take the land of Shemas with us. The people in the land are our bread. You know, remember that from Parsha uh, Shlach Lecha? And so there's this whole thing that through our subservience to Hashem, through the mitzvot that we keep, you know, Hashem gives us the supernatural victory. And our enemies become as easy for us to consume as it is consuming bread. Sleeka. Okay, so there's that. The other gematria, if you rearrange the word og, which is still the gematria of 79, which is hazinu, is gava, which means literally look this word up. It literally says, among many other things, give up the ghost. Yeah, like when Shiak crying out and he gave up the ghost on the crucifixion stake. So. Ha'azinu can be seen in the crucifixion of Mashiach more so after he forgave us and gave out his last breath and you have this picture of the song of our redemption because after he was taken down off the stake we went and sat at a Pesach Seder and then the day following the Shabbat which is where the Omer is first presented the Mashiach was resurrected and that was the whole point of him being offered was so that he could be resurrected because go all the way back to the beginning of this parasha, which is 15 hours ago. And we talked about the ram's horn that is sounded and it's from the resurrected Akira and all of that. That was literally connected to the 53rd Torah portion. Okay. So anyway, all of that to say, you have the giving of, of the ghost. Important uh, to note that the victims of the flood, this is what was called perishing, uh, that they gave up the ghost. Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and Aharon specifically have this word connected. They specifically have this word connected to their death, that they gave up the ghost. So, Mashiach having this connected to his death is no, no coincidence because he's exactly like the patriarchs, greater than the patriarchs, as uh, Tankuma brings down. So, from this point forward, I just kind of took a few notes that I'll just kind of um, puddle jump over real quick because I really want to get to the supernatural provision and position is what I'm going to call it. So I just took down about not grieving the Ruach HaKodesh from Devarim 32.6. And it's talking about, is this how you repay Hashem? Why did you grieve him uh, from the Kehert Humash, the interpolated? 
goes into why did you grieve him when you know he will punish you for your misdeeds and reward you for your good deeds. You are a foolish people for forgetting your past and you're unwise for not considering the consequences of your actions. Is he not your father? And it goes on. So I immediately thought of uh, Egeret Ephesus, the letter to the Ephesians, and chapter 4, specifically verses 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Ruach HaKodesh of Hashem, by whom you were sealed for Yom HaGeulah, for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness of heart and all anger and wrath and clamor and Lashon Harab be removed from you with all wickedness. So you have this idea of grieving Hashem comes through basically having a bitter heart and anger, having Lashon Hurrah and all sorts of wickedness. So these things you have to purge out of you again, back to those uh, unleavened cakes that were supposed to be. Clean out the hamets. I think it's fitting since we're talking 10th of Nisan, 10th of Tishrei, clean out your hamets. This is why we have our big fancy meal on uh, Erev Yom Kippur, where we clean out our hamets. It should be a meal about forgiveness. So speak about forgiveness and things like that. Then uh, Yeshiyahu 63.8 gets in on it because he's talking about grieving Hashem. This is uh, 8 through 14. I'm going to skip down. And it says that, because uh, it says, so the angel of his presence saved them, that's Memtet, and his love and his mercy, he redeemed them, that's Memtet, i.e. Mashiach. Then he lifted them and carried them all the days of old, but they rebelled and grieved his Ruach HaKodesh. So he turned and became their enemy. This whole thing about grieving Hashem, you'll only cause him to become your enemy. So just get rid of things that grieve him. Okay? Uh, and so... Don't grieve the the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve with Shem by being rebellious. Sukkot and self-denial was another thing. There was a beautiful drop from Find Yourself uh, by Menachem Feldman that I want to just drop. Port, the Parsha uh, Hazinu is read in proximity to Sukkot, the festive seven-day holiday that follows Yom Kippur and is an expression of deep joy in connection with God celebrating in the sukkah commemorating god's placing our ancestors in sukkahs as they left egypt we find ourselves just as god found the jews in the desert when we leave our home to dwell in the sukkah we leave behind the notions of self that limit us again now we're looking at that chet the the letter chet the eight transcendence divine grace And it says, we realize that within each of us are hidden, unexpected treasures waiting to be mined and discovered. We each contain infinite hidden strength, courage, kindness, and holiness. As we begin the new year, as we sit in the sukkah, sitting in the sukkah, celebrating God's embrace, let us surprise ourselves. Let us find our true selves. Obviously, we've heard this before. Mark chapter 8. Mashiach says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the Basora Hageula will save it. So you have this idea of losing yourself and it is all for the sake of Hashem. 
So what I'd like to note is that we're connecting the Exodus to Sukkot, the completion of a journey, Nisan, Atishrei. We're going from our homes that we know we're familiar with, we're comfortable with, we got everything under control, kind of, maybe, mostly, to a wilderness. We don't got nothing in control. It's crazy. Seafray uh, brings down how it's a it's a place of marauders and dangers and perils and things like that. So, yeah, so it's a little different and a place of matzah, you know, back in our home to a place where we have to have manna, which is going to lead to a place where we get to have lechem because the whole purpose of Sukkot is to sit in the sukkah and eat bread so that you can say the bracha and the birka hamazon for Hashem to raise up the fallen tent of David. So literally going from matzah to lechem, going from Yosef to David. This whole picture here. Okay, so now, supernatural provisions, and this is where we'll close. This is our ending, okay? So it's a big, long ending. So here we go. Supernatural provisions. You know what? I'm going to make this a separate recording. So stand by. Okay, and now we're back. Okay, so supernatural provision. By the way, I meant to say seaf. Sif te, not sif re. Very close words. But sif te was talking about the desert being a place of marauders and all sorts of stuff. And so we, we left the comfort of our home to come out to this place. Okay, so supernatural provisions. So Kerhurt interpolated Devarim 32, 11-13. Says, as an eagle awakens its nest mercifully... Hovering gently over its young so as not to startle them, so did God reveal himself to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, manifesting himself from the four corners, the Arba, the four directions, in order to in order not to overwhelm the Israelites with the intensity of a direct revelation from only one direction. See, this right here is another reason why it's so beautiful to just kind of step back and let the wonder in when it comes to Hashem. Because here you have Hashem surrounding us on four, four sides so that we're not overwhelmingly freaked out from a head-on encounter with Him. And I love this because this is the sides that the clouds of glory surrounded us. So Hashem really spoke from Himself from four directions he's letting us know that i am in every place you know i am in the four corners of the world so people are able to hear me you're going to hear all four corners of the world come together in one place and that is israel this is why there's four gates or four sides that include three gates to get into Yerushalayim: north side south side east side west side okay you got the four sides, and this is how you enter into a shim. Again, there are no Gentile gates. There is no Messianic uh, Gentile gate. There is no Christian gate. There is no, I'm not Jewish, and I don't like that Jewish stuff gate. So just saying. Anyway, um, they all have names of tribes on there. Continuing on, it says, similarly, just as an eagle's wings, just as an eagle spreads its wings, 
when picking up its young and carries them on its pinions in order to protect them from birds of prey attacking from below. So did God interpose his cloud between the attacking Egyptians and the Israelites when he took the latter out of Egypt. Crazy thing about that is Memtet, the angel of Hashem, is called that pillar that moved around from the front and stood in back of the children of Israel so they can cross over the Yom Suf. So this is again, it's a picture of Mashiach's body on the stake that he summoned up on himself all of our afflictions and put us behind him so that we could cross over into newness of life. So, you know, Hashem has done that before. So what this is what it looks like when you move beyond knowing that Hashem was offered for us. Mashiach was offered for us. Because, yes, that is very crucial, that is very important, but we're headed to Sukkot, so we don't just stop at Yom Kippur, we don't just stop at Pesach, you know, if we stopped at Pesach, we would have never got the Torah, which is an indictment, because there are many people who've only stopped at Pesach, this is why Shmeister is a thing, this is why Xmas is a thing, because they're all about that Redeemer, and all about his sacrifice, but you know, he resurrected, but that was cool, but we didn't go anywhere. So that's kind of like, ooh, you know, it's kind of sad and unfortunate. But if you really follow it out, following insinuates you're going somewhere. What came out to Pesach? Yes, counting the Omer. What is counting the Omer? Putting off the old and putting on the new. What comes out to counting the Omer? Torah. We receive the Ruach HaKodesh. The word of God, the written and oral Torah, the renewed essence of the, of the sapphire tablets, if you will. Then what happens after that? We are supposed to go into the land so that we can sit in the suga. I just feel like I always have to say suga. So I don't know. I apologize. I get that from Rabbi. He did that one year. He was all like, all right, everybody after Shakari, come on. We're going to go sit in the suga. I'm like, Rabbi, you are so special. But obviously, I liked it, so now I'm special. Just like everybody else. Anyway, so we get Shavuot. We're supposed to have three weeks of awesomeness, but we made a golden calf, so let's pretend like we didn't. And, well, can't really do that. So let's say we tacoon that, you know, and we really made Shuva, and so, you know, uh, 17th of Tammuz and two or Tisha B'Av, you know, that wonderfulness to Kunit becomes a greater three weeks. And so it's just like, okay, casting out idolatry. Cool. Moving on to the 40 days of Shuva. Like we messed up and there are still things that we can still get right, even though we feel like we've made lots of improvements. What else can we improve on? Oh, being close to you because you're so far beyond us. Us trying to move close to you is like saying, all right, let's take planet Earth and move it next to the sun. Yeah, let's just go ahead and do that. That's going to take a lot, right? <laughs> okay, but anyway, how far are we from the sun? Uh, Don't try that. Please don't try this at home. Okay, we if the Earth was supposed to be next to the sun, Hashem would have done that. I was just using a crazy example because I'm a crazy person. Anyway, so after the 40 days of the Shuvah, you feel like you've moved like less than a hair's uh, length close to Hashem. It's like, okay, so it's Rosh Hashanah. 
I got a 48 hour new year. Let's make it happen. You know, and you're still moving closer to Hashem. And you're like, I've gotten just another hair closer to Hashem. And then it's like, okay, now you got the the rest of the 10 days of Teshuvah leading up to Yom Kippur. It's like, okay, so I'm working, 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 fixing, 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 switching, 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 hitting, 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 dipping, dipping, dipping with the flipping, chipping, chipping. Okay, yes, because you got to get ready for the fast. You know, you got to eat, got to change your, change your ways, put off the old, put on the new, become a newborn babe again. Keep getting saved. Don't just get saved once and be done. Because you don't want to be overdone. You want to just be the perfect amount of done. Okay, you got to keep getting saved. Anyway, as much as you drink water, think about returning to Hashem. I mean, because that's what it's like when you get into the Torah, by the way. It's like drinking water. Should be anyway, because it's living water. Unless it's fire and you're cooking, you know, and you're making a nice pizza, you know, which is typically what I have in my mind as I'm podcasting. I'm like, man, I want to bake a pizza today. She's like, what kind of pizza are you baking? Why is it taking hours? It's going to be a really good pizza. Not going to be overdone either. <laughs> anyway, so that whole thing. And then we get to Sukkot. And then we're chilling in Sukkot. We're like, okay, Hashem, we're taking all this revelation and we're pressing it out into all the world, until the whole world becomes Hanukkah. Rededicated, renewed. The light of day one of creation is permeated everywhere. And then after that, we go into uh, the tenth of Tevet, which is a tragic day, but we overturn it because we understand the Torah being uh, translated into Greek. Um, you know, the Greeks now they can study Torah. They need to get back to the Hebrew. They have an in route, and we should not stay away from the Hebrew. We should get into the Hebrew. We should stop burning Torah scrolls. Stop persecuting the Jews. Stop being anti-Semitic. Bring it on in, right? Then we go from there into the uh, 15th of Shavuot, the new year for the trees. Man are like trees, so we get to become new again. Yay, let's have a fruit seder. All right. And then watch our wine go from white to progressively red, signifying the whole water to wine concept. You know, and so you go from Peshat level of Torah all the way into the deepest secrets of Torah. And then from there, you get into Purim. And then from Purim, you start it all over again. So it's just celebration on celebration. Purim being the festival that lasts for all eternity because the essence of accepting the Torah without being, uh, ex uh, without being, what is that? pressured not being under the law that's the whole thing about Purim Purim is literally the festival of not being under the law just saying so there's that and then back to this verse over here it says God assisted them guided them safely through the desert during this entire time there was no other deity that can contend with him by successfully attacking his people Balaam saw this. The only way that he was able to get a successful attack was to cause them to attack themselves. Which is currently why we're in this exile, because we've attacked ourselves. So if we finally rise up like the true nation that we are, we will get out of exile and we will bring Tikkun to the world. If you really want to heal the world and make it a better place, then Yisrael, let's rise up and shine forth the true light of Torah 
teach every mankind Torah, be forgiving people, be nice people, be loving people, bring truth. Okay. Sleek eye again. Okay, so the next one it says, next verse. This is all interpolated uh, from the Kehret Humash, Devarim 32, 11 through 13. It says, he made them figuratively ride, i.e. he helped them subdue the land of Israel the highest place on the earth in order as soon as they entered the land, they might eat the quick growing and quick ripening produce of its fields. Even the rockiest ground in Eretz Israel produces exceedingly succulent fruit. He nurtured them with honey that oozes from figs grown in soil as hard as a rock and oil that oozes from olives grown in Flintstone. Now you get my point while I'm talking supernatural provision and position with precision. Okay. That's what we're looking at when we're with Hashem. Like he's doing all these amazing things for us and uh, nature is being molded to however we need it to be. So let's look at Rashi on verse 11. He says he guided them with his mercy and pity like the eagle, which is full of pity towards his young and does not enter its nest suddenly before it beats and flaps its wings above its young, passing between tree and tree, between branch and branch, in order that the young may awake and have enough strength to receive it. That's from the Seif Ray, Divine 314.1. And so when you really look at Hashem, he's gently approaching us. And so he doesn't want us to be just overwhelmed and freaked out to no end. So when we're looking at Hashem bringing in the final redemption, it's the same way. Through us asking him to mercifully do it, we're asking Hashem in a very easy, a very um, smooth way, bring the redemption. It's like, okay, a little bit more light, a little bit more light, as opposed to just flipping on the light switch in a dark room. You're like, ah, you know, but if it's a dimmer, it's like, hey, this is kind of nice. Oh, it's all of a sudden, oh, it's really bright in here. That's happening right now. The fact that we have like all of this lapidness going on, the mikvah, we have more people returning to Torah. We have more people who are believing in Yeshua, converting, like more, more, more. Keep it going. Baruch Abba Shem Adonai. Okay, so then... Uh, Rashi goes on to say that um, when it comes to remove them, the young, from one place to another, it does not take them with its claws as other birds do. See, Hashem don't be doing things like other gods do. Because other birds are afraid of, of the eagle that soars high and flies above them, therefore they carry their young and the mother's claws for the fear of the eagle. But the eagle is afraid only of an arrow. Therefore, it carries them, the young, on its wings. It is better that the arrow pierce me than should it pierce my young. So to HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Shemot 19.4, I bear you as on eagle's wings. Makilta de Rabbi Yishmael 19.4, section 3. 
When the Egyptians marched after them and overtook them at the Yom Suf, they threw arrows and stone missiles at them. Sticks and stones, right? They cannot break Hashem's bones. This is why Mashiach's bones weren't broken at the crucifixion stake. But boy, it's sure that they throw sticks and stones. And talking about words that should hurt. He took those same words of hurt and turned them into brako to Hashem. Because remember our whole era of Yom Kippur, the forgiveness, turned all that hurt and insult into blessings for everybody. We all need to get us some. I mean, so then it says the angel of God, here's the Memtet, moved. I thought it was the pillar of cloud. I thought it was God in the pillar. Okay, it says the angel of God. Okay, anyway, and came between the camp of Egypt, the camp of Israel, that it might receive the arrows. So there's your whole Yeshiyahu passage. Uh, what was that? Yeshiyahu... 63 yeah yeshiyahu 63 talking about the angel of hashem was afflicted in our afflictions so in matthew chapter 8 this is where we're going to bring it home matthew chapter 8 and also hebrews the letter to the hebrews in chapter 13 matthew 8 first it says this starting in 16 and when Erev came Okay, this is all following the episode where Yeshua goes to Kepha's home and all of that to heal his mother-in-law. They brought to Mashiach Yeshua many possessed by demons, like evil spirits, and he cast them out with a word. And all the sick peoples he healed. Thus was fulfilled what was spoken by Yeshiyahu the prophet, Surely he took up their illnesses or surely he took up our illnesses and carried away. Okay, so that's just Yahoo 53. And it says like the Yom Kippur goat to Azazel, which is a scapegoat, a kapara, an atonement. And it says this is our sorrows. And again, you can actually connect that back to 63 because the angel of Hashem does that. And this is Shemot, uh, chapter four or nineteen, where Hakadosh Baruchu says, "I bury on equals wings." It's all lining up, okay. And then it says, "And when he saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side." Okay, so in the story of Yona, Yona says, "I'm an Ivory," and he is basically giving a description of who he is. And remember Yana being a dove. Dove is an Ivory, the Jewish people. Ivory is all about one who crosses over. So Yeshua is doing this Ivory thing, this picture of what an Ivory is right here. And he says, when he saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. A sofer, a scribe, a Torah teacher, approached Mashiach Yeshua and said, Rebbe, first of all, immediate Pharisee, right there. The fact that Yeshua is called a Pharisee, called a Rebbe, that's all synonymous, okay? So he's acknowledged as a as a Pharisee because he's being called a Rebbe. And it says, Rebbe, I want or I will follow you wherever you go. And Rebbe, Yeshua says to him, Foxes have holes, 
Birds have nests, but Ben Adam does not have a place where he may lay his head. And I put emphasis on follow and the word for nest because we just did this whole thing where children of Israel were like in a nest. So we had the clouds of glory, Hashem was appearing to us and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, okay. So that that was that. So now in Mashiach Yeshua, we're not going to have a nest when we follow him. It's going to seem like we're orphans left without, but we're not because we have the Ruach HaKodesh. Yeshua says, I will not leave you as orphans, right? And Hashem also definitely won't leave us as orphans because he's our father. So now we're going to be scattered to the four corners of the earth, which is where Hashem is because he speaks from the four corners. And from there, you will not have a nest. You will not have a place to call your own and you'll find yourself being with me. And you'll be on the mission that I put you on to bring in the divine sparks. And this is how you cross over and this is how you follow me. Couple that with Egeret Yehudim, which is the letter to the Hebrews. And it says, notice I say Yehudim, which is commonly translated as Jews, but it's also called Hebrews because Yehudim and Hebrews, Hebrews, which is Ebrim, are the same thing, crossed over ones. Ones who crossed over, crossed over from what? From death into life, from rebellion into obedience. Okay, therefore, okay, it's chapter 13, 12 through 16. Therefore, Yeshua also that he might make the covenant people, the holy covenant people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate, outside the Sha'ar. He suffered outside of heaven because heaven has a gate. The temple has a Sha'ar. So he suffered outside of the temple. And then it says, so then let us go out to him outside the camp. Okay, get out of the nest, go out to him, go to where he is. Remember, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So this is where we're going to go. Go out to him, bearing the reproach of Mashiach Yeshua. Bearing the reproach of, you're not a legit Jew. Why are you doing that pagan idolatrous stuff? Nobody accepts you. You know, all this kind of stuff. Because remember, King David was rejected all his life. And then he's like the most venerated guy now. And same thing will follow for us who are followers of Yeshua. Yeah, we're kicked out of synagogues and all sorts of stuff like that. But at the end of it all, we're suffering with him and we will reign with him. So wherever Mashiach goes, let's make sure we go there. Even if it's not a foxhole, if we're foxes. Even if it's not a bird's nest, if we're birds. It's a supernatural provision and position with precision. Okay, so let us go out to him bearing the reproach. We do not have a lasting holy city, but we seek the one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer up a thanksgiving offering to Hashem continually. See, the other cool thing about this place where we're going with Mashiach, which is where we currently are at the gates of Rome, Again, another place where he's outside the gate. But where we're in this exile is that our offerings are continual. That it it goes beyond the three times of the day offering services. It goes beyond just the morning and evening tamid offering. We're continuously offering. So if you could imagine the way that the Levites sang in the temple is the way that we're bringing Corbinot to Hashem. 
And the way that we do that is through thanksgiving, which thanksgiving is the essence of teshuva. So yes, when we're making teshuva, we or yes, when we're being thankful, we're representing the essence of teshuva, which is a continual offering before Hashem, just like the tamid offering itself. So being able to offer continuously without stop, you know, that's what we have the ability to do. And it says that is the fruit of our lips, giving hodiah, thanksgiving to Hashem, giving thanksgiving to his name. But do not drift away from ma'asim tovim and sharing, for with such zevakim, Hashem is well pleased. I love that because you may think, oh, we're outside the camp, we're outside the gate, you know, we're a fox that doesn't have a hole and we're a bird that doesn't have a nest. Therefore, we don't need to do that tour stuff because how are we going to eat kosher out here? Or how are we going to keep Shabbat out here? How are we going to build a sukkah out here because we're not in the land of Israel anyway? And all this kind of stuff. And it's like, do not drift away from good works, which are called ma'asim tovim and sharing. For with such offerings, Hashem is well pleased. Hashem is well pleased by the fact that since we can't be in Israel, we make a sukkah in Texas or wherever you're at in Lapeed, Kansas City, Hudson Valley, New York, you know, Kentucky, Carolinas, Florida, Houston, uh, and all that. So then we got all this, right? And uh, so everywhere that you can do this, you're, you're, it's, it's like it's beautiful. It's legit. Uh, Hashem is well pleased with what we can offer to him. So when you can eat kosher, eat kosher, eat vegan, vegetarian, however you got to do it, it's possible in all four corners of the world. Uh, then, you know, keeping the Shabbat, you know, taking that time, taking that day, set it apart. And, and Baruch Hashem, do the Yom Tovim. So... <clears throat> I want to bring down this last thing from the Sifte Chakamim Devarim 32, 11, section 4. It says this. As it is stated, Hashem came from Sinai, radiated forth from Seir. He came from Sinai. Okay, that phrase, it says, is not one of the four directions. Rather, it means that he came from Sinai towards the people. The following are the four directions. So Sinai is not to be seen as one of the four directions, but this is where he came from. So Hashem came from Sinai, but him coming from Sinai is him coming from four directions. Selah, that's ridiculous. One place, but it's really four directions that he split himself out into. I feel like we've seen this with the rivers from Eden. Uh, but anyway... Let's, I'll keep going. <clears throat> Don't want to really get sidetracked with that. Okay. He radiated to them from Seir. He appeared from Mount Paran. He came with part of the sacred myriad. Hashem came from Teman. Some challenge that this explanation because earlier Rashi explained that the verse he radiated forth from them from Seir refers to the idolaters who did not wish to accept the Torah upon themselves. And Rashi explains similarly later in Parsha Vezot's 
Habaraka in 33.2, which is one of my favorite verses. Yet here he explains the verses referring to the world's four directions. One can answer that the verse contains both meanings. Come on, Sifte. It says, for if the verse was written solely for the four directions, why does it use the unusual names for these directions? These directions are never referred to by these names anywhere else in the Torah. Per force, it refers also to the non-Jewish nations. And if scripture comes solely to teach you about the idolaters, why then does one or why then does it not explicitly mention them by their names? Rather, one must say that both meanings are contained within the verse. And earlier in the verse, he found them in a wilderness country, which speaks in praise of the Jewish people. Rashi brings the reason that they elucidated the verses referring to the idolaters who did not wish to accept upon themselves the Torah. And on the verse, like an eagle who rouses his nest, which speaks of the goodness that Hashem did for the Jewish people, Rashi brings the second reason. So all of this being to say, you can chalk it up to directions. You can chalk it up to names of places. You can chalk it up to non-Jews. You can chalk it up to idolaters. Either way, when we encounter Hashem, we each all have a supernatural position with much provision. And this whole idea of, well, what about those people in the far remote islands? Hashem is there. Okay? Because through all those who have rejected the Torah, which would, quote unquote, scientifically, not really to get caught up on this, create some sort of echo effect where it bounces off the surface and it goes on to travel somewhere else, creation reveals Hashem's majesties, right? It reveals his majesty. So you have even people who are in these unknown locations, they're still able to receive Hashem. Should they be open and should they be seeking their creator with the tools that they have, all of us can find Hashem. And this is called a place of supernatural provision and position, position, Slika, that's a tongue twister, supernatural provision and position. And so my question to us all is, where do we stand? Because that's just at the end of the day, it's going to be some challenges. At the end of the day, there's going to be some stuff that we don't know. And whether we're a person who's known Hashem or whether we're a person who's never known Hashem and is just now getting to know him and continuing to get to know him and discover things. Where are we and what are we doing and where are we headed? Are we following Mashiach? Because Mashiach, yes, he's at the gates of Rome, but expand out this scope of the four directions. Mashiach is the image of the invisible. So Hashem comes from Sinai, but yet he comes from all four directions. Mashiach is at the gates of Rome, but he's in all four directions. So what does that look like? That's a lapide in every corner of the world, bringing in the light that hopefully will draw out all the divine sparks. 
bringing forth the final redemption where Hashem will take all of those gatherings from those four corners, just like the four corners of our talit, bring them into his hand, bind them around his finger, and gather us in to the new Yerushalayim with the building of the Beit HaMikdash and the final redemption entering us into the millennial kingdom, the the world to come, and the le'ela le'ela, like after that and after that and after that. So, yeah, we got to give Hashem something to gather in, right? So, just please know Hashem is going to provide. He does provide. He will provide. We say this in our birkat, you know, which is one of the reasons why we like to eat a lot of bread, so that we can say the bracha that pertains to it. This is what we're headed towards as we're uh, heading into Yom Kippur and heading into Sukkot. That we want to uh, feast on Hashem and more so we want to know where we stand and that with him there is supernatural provision. And the position that we're in is a supernatural position. Hashem is with us. He will oversee and guard our souls. So what are we doing with that? Bezrat Hashem, we're making converts, giving tzedakah, making teshuva, being grateful, and doing our mission. What were we sent here to do? Light it up. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai harakaman hu yezekinu limot hamashiach ulchaye haolam haba. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet Vekaye olam natabetokeinu Baruch atah Adonai Noten haTorah Amen May it be the will of Adonai that we're all inscribed and sealed in the book of life and for a good and sweet year.